Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. My guest today is Josh Schneider, who is director at the Millennial and Employee Engagement Institute. He's also a speaker, author, and a pretty cool guy. Josh, how are you today? I'm well. That business name is a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lot, but we got it. I think I, I think it comes off the tongue, but what's most important is what you do with it, not just the name. Well, I mean, the whole reason I built an institute was to start to really take research to go with the stories and examples that we were seeing. And I thought, you know, I was speaking at conferences all the time. I might as well at least have my company name say what we were focused on and what we help people solve. So that's why I went with it. That's awesome. Well, I find sometimes people get too cute with their names and then people don't actually know what they do. So as a way of getting started, why don't you tell people uh, who you are and what your background is? So spend my days traveling, speaking at conferences, companies, and have three books out now. And the whole reason why I do what I do is I started my career in the CPA world, CPA firm. And I walked in with this expectation that day one, I was going to be a partner in 10 years, like whatever that took. And uh, by 9.32 a.m. of day one, I, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And just through that experience, I, I read a hundred books in the couple of years that I spent there. And it opened up this idea that work should be meaningful, that we should get fulfillment from work. And what I've now seen is when we have these elements, our ability to perform, lead and innovate just goes through the roof. I love that. I mean, if you're going to spend a third of your work life, a third of your life at work, let's make it useful. And but just, I'm going to put a cautionary tale because you have millennial in your company name and not everybody is necessarily a millennial. However, we are in what we'll call a millennial generation. And I believe that a lot of the leadership thinking is people focused. So can you tell me a little bit about sort of your approach or what your jam is and how you approach that engaging and making work meaningful in your talks and in your consulting? I mean, for me, number one, it's about the human being. And I think a lot of the employee engagement research out there, which is such beautiful research to look into, um, you know, showing that uh, basically seven out of every 10 paychecks that a company sends out every two weeks are going to people who don't want to be there. And a lot of the engagement strategies are from this top down. And I'm thinking we're in this connected world how can we touch the heart of a human being? Steve Wynn once said, if, if you can do something for somebody that they can't do for themselves, you've hit the bullseye in human relations. And I think how, not just I think, but this is what we do is create cultures and environments where people get to show up every day and they're able to try and find meaning and fulfillment in what it is that they do, which I think everybody's trying to do that, but how do you really break it down and in a concise way, give somebody the opportunity to do that at work? And, and that's the challenge. Hmm. Yeah. How do you like present those opportunities? Because 
working with CEOs, you see that they have like so much stuff on their plate. Like they're trying to run the business. They're trying to just like keep it going, meet payroll. They're trying to like just, just make it work. And then it's like, hey, leadership. And it's like, whoa, no one's really ever equipped for leadership. Um, I have a sidebar on that. But, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, how do you tell leaders? Say, hey, how do you suggest to them to get more engaged? What can they do for their teams? If we have a leader listening, what can they do to better engage their people or, or to be more heart focused? Unless there's a secret ingredient that we need first before we get into that piece of it. The first thing I think about is, you know, I've got three kids now. And so imagine I'm on a plane and my wife has our, our new, our newest one, our first son. So she's got him on, on, uh, or him on her lap. And I've got, Brooklyn and Harper on, on, on my lap and I'm holding them and we're talking and over the, uh, the announcement, the pilot says, uh, that cabin pressure is about to shift. And so an ox oxygen mask is going to appear. So don't forget to put yours on first. And so I put mine on first and there's only one oxygen mask left first in that moment. You're going to know who my favorite child is because she's the one getting the oxygen mask. But it's this idea that I think as leaders and managers, we oftentimes don't put our own mask on first and we are so busy. And I think a great leader and a great manager is actually trying to even shelter their people from all of the change, from all of the chaos that's happening above them. And so can a manager, can a leader, can a CEO, I, I've heard somebody once say that a uh, mist in the mind of a leader becomes a fog in the organization. And so if the leader doesn't have their mask on first, and they're just a little bit confused because of the chaos of change and management that they're having to deal with, it creates a really challenging environment for them to then successfully lead their people, let alone show up and, and help that person accomplish something that is meaningful. So how does a leader, how does a manager put their own oxygen mask on first? What we've started to see be the most useful tool and the, the thing I think that I'm most excited about is this, we call it the tingly feeling compass. And the tingly feeling, <laughs> as silly as it sounds, came from uh, an experience I had while working at the CPA firm. Coworker and I, Jen, were out at, a t out at a client and it's her and it's me. And she looks up and she's like, Josh, I've got a tingly feeling. And so initially, I think this is, this is a good thing because I'm single. And, and then she continues and she said, Josh, I've got a tingly feeling because the numbers matched. And I'm like, when the numbers match, I get so upset because it meant I spent three days, three weeks auditing this account and nothing changed. Yet Jen, my coworker, same degree, same tasks, she gets pumped. When that moment happens, when the tingly feeling at work happens, what's actually happening inside our human brains is that dopamine, oxytocin, and serotonin, these feel-good chemicals, are getting released. And to take it just one step further, what also tends to happen or what happens with oxytocin is oxytocin triggers something called nitric oxide. Nitric oxide triggers something called endothelial, relaxed, uh, endothelial relaxing factor, and that causes our arteries and our veins to actually widen in our heart and we get more blood flow to our heart. So we actually feel more full. So I know this is such a long answer, 
But if we can go all the way to helping a manager put their mask on first and find this element of their work that truly provides the tingly feeling, the part of their work that when they do it, it makes them come alive. We're not only helping them win at work, but we're actually beginning to change the chemistry of what's going on inside their body and how they feel about their work. Damn, that's not where I thought you were going with that at all. (laughs) So if as a leader, if you want to be a better leader, it's, you know, in your words, putting the mask on first, it's finding that tingly feeling and reconnecting or just connecting to the work that you really enjoy doing such that you are full in your leadership. And then that'll spill out to other people because you're actually enjoying it versus, you know, resenting it, which is not necessarily what you said, but really making sure that people have that, that leaders are enjoying their jobs so that the rest of their employees can enjoy their jobs. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think there's, there's two things that happen. One is there is that effect where all of a sudden my leader that I look up to, there's this zest that, that comes as a result of that. There's a feeling that I feel about them. But now, so a lot of the research that we do in the Institute is around this idea of the employee brain. And we have this fundamental belief that every day, the employee brain, the human brain is coming to work, asking this simple question, is my future brighter than my past? Hmm. And it's looking for clues. It's looking for reassurance to reaffirm what it believes. And so all of a sudden, if my manager is putting their mask on first and they're finding momentum and they're creating something new for themselves. Not only am I going to feel that, but now the manager has to kind of take that excitement, take that and go downhill. Now with the employee brain, with that brain research, we started to look at this thing called hypoxia. Now hypoxia is when our human brains actually get starved of real oxygen and they begin to shut down and eventually die. But the employee brain When it's starved of that beautiful resource of doing work that matters, it also begins to shut down. And that's how we we say people are going through the motions or people who back their cars in at work so that way they can leave 10 seconds earlier. Like that's how we know somebody doesn't want to, I actually like backing my car in, but we look at all of these things and, and we are like, how do we bring somebody back to life? How do we bring this energy, this excitement to them? And when we can help somebody then find their tingly feeling. So one, it happens for the manager, for the leader, it creates this new environment on the team. And I think all of the research that Marcus Buckingham and ADP are coming out with, like the power of teams, just, I, I don't think we can I saw something recently where Google set out to try and prove that managers were not <laughs> managers were not worthwhile and it doubled back on them. And they're like, no, managers are so critical. So when your manager can begin to do that and then go downstream and help an individual find their spark, find that tingly feeling. Whew, all right. So I want to relate it to the way you said the, the mist in the mind of the leader becomes a fog in the organization. And I related that to, you know, that that same feeling of lack of oxygen is that if there's a little bit of lack of oxygen on the highest level, then there's, you know, a huge lack of oxygen at the lower level and that you need to really demonstrate the leadership and or demonstrate leadership and be the embodiment of what you want your people to be. This, some of the CEOs you talk to like feel guilty about putting their mask on first. 
I think you, it's almost natural to feel guilty for doing that because you think I've, you're, I think leaders are, are more crushed by work than ever before. Yet their people are looking to them more than ever before. And so, yes, naturally it's, it's going to feel guilty. And then I think what also happens is you're in this frenetic state, your ability to truly be strategic and lead the team, lead the organization that starts to get diluted. And then people don't have clarity on how they show up every day and win. In our pre-roll, before we were talking about you recently went through a strategic planning session, looking at being strategic and, you know, given everything that you know about leadership and about people and CEOs, how do you see that creating a great workplace and strategy tying together? It goes back to that question, is my future brighter than my past? And every day we're looking for evidence to the answer of that question. And it's human nature to want to show up and win and do well. And so when, well, I'll just say even for example, I called my team and I said, listen, these projects, put them on hold for two weeks. Like we got to find some other stuff for you to do because I need to go in and I need to get detail. So that way you have clarity on how you can best win. Because I realized by walking through this session that I was not giving a clear scoreboard. I was not giving like a clear destination. So that way my team could show up and really step in with full intention and, and truly unleash the best parts of them. It's, I had to give them parameters to show up, to be creative and innovative. And you know, you're asking the question about leaders and the mist in their mind and the number one thing that I think I hear over and over again is we want our people to be more innovative. We want them to be more creative. And part of giving that structure for innovation and creativity is having this strategy, these clear guidelines of what we're doing to fill in the blanks, or if you will, like color by numbers, here you go. Now let's kill it. In terms of this, so what I like about strategy and the parameters is, you know, when you have your vision of where you're going, it, it's sort of like a binary thing. You're either going there or you're not going there. And then we look at culture and behaviors, which is you're either doing what we want you to do or not what we want to do. So in your experience, both as a speaker and as a leader and as like a company man, how do you negotiate that, you know, giving them empowerment, like empowering them to take on stuff while also giving them that clear pathway in terms of what to do? So the difference between sort of micromanaging and giving them and delegating versus empowering to say, hey, take on, be creative. What have you found works or what have you found that doesn't work in those uh, in those realms? If I could take one step back and as a whole, I was with a guy last night. He said, I've got 200 employees and I've got six who actually want to really be here with me. And you're like, man, that sucks. How do you only have six people who are clear on the mission? So what are those things? When I look at the other 194 of his employees, of people that show up and are committed to be there. And, you know, if somebody is, in that state of hypoxia, they're in that state of not having tasted meaning at work. How do we get them out of that? Because essentially what's been happening is they've been showing up, pushing down the gas pedal, 
and not getting a return. And I think that's what creates frustration, fatigue, and burnout for most people is they want to show up. It's human nature to want to show up and do a good job and be rewarded for your work. And so how do we create an environment where the car that that person drove to get to work, they pushed down the gas and the car responded. Some cars respond better than others, but there's that return and that satisfaction of I applied the gas and now I'm going somewhere. I'm getting that return. So can we bring people and put them into alignment and aligning them with what they do best? And some teams, you know, that may not be possible. If I could give one little piece of, of insight, what we found with the tingly feeling is this. The tingly feeling is often as little as 4 to 5% of somebody's working week. And that tingly feeling, which is associated with releasing an incredible feeling, oftentimes, too, we've, we've seen that the tingly feeling is the area where somebody adds the greatest value to the organization. When you're adding value to your organization, you feel it. And so when it's only happening four to five percent of a week, that's frustrating. And it's very natural to look at all of the other time that is not that percentage. So as a leader, as a culture, can we bring some awareness to this most exciting part? Generally got the numbers to match a couple of times a week or a few times a week. But that made all that other effort worth it because she knew what it was. And then she also stopped and took a moment and said, wow, this is amazing. And so, you know, there's so many different pieces. How can we get teams aligned? How can we build them to their strengths? Can we even create a physical scoreboard so people know whether they're winning or not? And like, how silly would a basketball game be? Or, or last night was game seven of the uh, Stanley Cup finals. <laughs> what if I turn the game on in the third period and everyone's going nuts and there was no scoreboard? I, and no one could that I'm a viewer and I'm saying who's winning the guys on the ice might know, but we have to have that clear scoreboard that we can really look to and truly give the individuals who show up every day, the opportunity to win. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And ironically enough, I was in yellow knife yesterday and I was watching the game and for whatever reason, the aperture of the TV actually covered up the scoreboard in the time. And then I was like, what the heck? <laughs> Like, I had no idea what was going on. Fortunately, there was another TV to the left that had it, but it was exactly what you're talking about. And I bring it up often in, in strategy sessions is how can you play without a scoreboard? And you wouldn't know the rules, you wouldn't yeah. know the time, and you wouldn't want to play the game for very long. So you alluded to it, but what are, you know, your two to three best practices that leaders can take on so that they can increase the percentage of that tingly work? You know, you talked about creating the scoreboard as one of them, but what are some other like best practices that leaders could put in place tomorrow as a practice or a system or something they can specifically do to create that environment for their employees? Number one is I call it the roll up your sleeves. And I go all the way back to when I was in college, I was working as a server at a restaurant and my manager, Pete, you did not have to tell Pete that you were overwhelmed. I remember coming around the corner and you'd see Pete standing there unbuttoning his, his sleeve of his dress shirt and rolling it up two and a half times. And then Pete was in the trenches with you. And if Pete came to me and said, hey, I need you to fix this, I need you to improve this, I had incredible respect for Pete because I knew he was in the trenches with me. And I think that is, that is one piece. And that all of a sudden starts to create a heart connection with your team. And number two, it's 
it's not easy, but I call it lead with love. <laughs> and and I, I tell my wife this all the time. I must be a challenging man to live with because I'm particular. And when I'm on the road, I'm, I'm, I'm by myself. I'm in control of my schedule. And then I'm home and all of a sudden, you know, there's something I'm doing that's, that's maybe bothering my wife or creating an environment. That's not the best environment at home. And I'm like, you can, if you lead with love, you can tell me absolutely anything that I'm doing wrong. And the only, the only choice I have is to say, you know what? You're right. I understand that's impacting you. How can I make it better? And so when, when a leader can truly leave with their heart and find a way to love the human being, you don't mean I have to like them, <laughs> but if you can find a way to love them and truly care about them and ways to do that is just saying, how can I help you over the next six months, over the next 12 months, what do you need out of this job or what other job can I help you get? And then for me, the number three thing I think is, you know, I've, we're, we're so we are so, at least a lot of the leaders that I talk to, they feel so tapped out. And if you can find some way to bring this Meraki, and Meraki is this Greek term that means soul, love, passion, a part of you in your work. And if a manager or a leader can find a way to bring this zest, this little twist, I think it's going to create an environment for that person for that leader to truly open up. Let me give you a quick example. Netflix, there is a, a customer service chat that I found online and somebody comes online and says, I've, I've got a problem with my streaming. And <laughs> the Netflix person says, sorry to hear that. My name's Captain Mike and welcome to the good ship Netflix. And uh, Norm who is the gentleman who's having the issue. He says, well, Lieutenant Norm here. And they continue to go back and forth in this random banter about <laughs> the good ship Netflix and Captain Mike. At the end, Captain Mike says, Norm, is there anything else I can help you with? And he, Norm replies with, I'm all set, but I almost wish that there was. Hmm. Now, that's not in the handbook. <laughs> Netflix does not have that in the handbook of how to convert yourself into a captain. But because that individual had a leader that said, you know what, let's bring a little zest, let's bring a little fun, a little love to our work today. All of a sudden that customer experience totally changed to the point he said, I almost wish that there was a problem so I could keep talking with you. I love that. So rolling up your sleeves, leading with love, and then bringing that soul, love, passion, and zest into the workplace just to create that spark to, you know, make magic happen. That's yeah. awesome. I love that. I totally got that. And I really got your, I mean, just like your commitment, like you hear it, like there's a passion in not only just what you're doing, but it's also how you approach your, your work. If you show up, everybody's sort of out there for you or out there against you. And they'd say employees against you, then that's how it's going to come out. But if you like show up and you're just like really willing to lead by example, and care for your people and really make an environment that's going to be supportive of them and foster their growth and success. And, you know, there's basically no other path than uh, the company being successful as I see it. So I was just going to say, I think there is 
the propensity to hear the things we're talking about. And, and I even feel it myself sometimes when I'm saying it is, yeah, right, Josh, you don't know. You don't know Jeff on my team. You don't know what I have to deal with. And I can, I can hear those voices in my head. And I guess to, to close, I just, are you familiar with the American Express black card? I am, yeah. Okay. So this American Express black card, they invite you to be a member. Rumors, you've got to have spent close to $250,000 a year. Um, but this card has unlimited spending ability. And you know, let's, let's say that you win the lotto and American Express calls you and they're like, you know what, Anthony, we, we, want, we want you to become a, a black card member and we're going to hand deliver a card. And so they, they hand deliver the card. And so naturally, the first thing you're going to go do is, is what's a car that you would go buy if money was no object? Um, I think I would probably, I would buy a Bentley. I'm, I'm down for Bentley. Okay. All right. So you're like, I think they're made in the UK, right? So let's just say you, you go to the, the dealership down in Bel Air, down in Los Angeles, because you think that's the dealership I'd want to go to. So you walk in and you're like, I want that one. And so they're like, sir, that's 450,000. You're like, I don't even care. I want it. And I'm going to pay with my card. And they're like, there's going to be a 3% surcharge. And you're like, I don't care. I want it. Let's do it. So you hand over the card and your ego is the size of the room. And then they go <laughs> in the back and they, and they swipe the card and then they swipe the card again. And then, and then they come back out to you and they're like, uh, sir, your, your card's declined. And now your ego is the size of, of a green pea. And so you get on the phone with American Express and you are hot to touch. And you're like, what is going on? And they're like, oh, so sorry. So sorry you had this experience. Would you like us to go and activate the card? And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I would. And I say that story. It does not matter the capacity, the unlimited possibility that a person has until as their leader, we can take steps to believe for them or to help try them to activate the very best parts of them, we will never access what is on the other side. We will never get the best of them. We'll never get their best work. And the moment that we get that best work, they get turned on, they begin to feel it. And you know who the person who's responsible for having done that? You, the leader, you, their manager. Wow, all right. So making, I mean, I'm, I'm just like really embracing all of that because that was an emotional roller coaster of having a Bentley <laughs> in Bel Air and then now not, but then it being my fault because I didn't activate the people is, you know, what I'm taking from that as a leader is saying, hey, if, if I try to have this, I buy this Bentley and I'm like, yeah, I'm expecting this person to come on my team and, and on paper, they've got all the characteristics, but I don't actually take the time to to activate it, to turn on all the features or what have you, then, you know, I'm not getting my full potential, nor will I ever, because I've never pushed the button and no one else is going to do it except for me. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's good. So I want to challenge all of our listeners out there is that if you have even your, your best performing people, your underperforming people, and just take an inventory of who you got on your team and look, it's like, you know, as a leader and as a coach, depending on how you look at it, who haven't you activated and maybe even consider 
that there's some people who you think you've activated and you haven't yet. And and yeah. what I get from what Josh is saying, it's really an uh, an, uh, an exercise in uncovering what you don't know and being curious about your people, what turns them on, what excites them, and not what you think excites them, but what they say <laughs> excites good. them. Um, because who knows, maybe they just love numbers and that they're just not in the right place at the right time to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. So that's super cool. Um, thank you, Josh. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can people connect with you and how can people learn more about what you're up to? Yeah. Uh, Josh Schneider.com is the best way. Uh, my most recent book is five days to your best work yet where we walk through the employee brain and look at the eight true north elements and you can start to build this assessment to see how you can truly get turned on at work and how you can use the power of the employee brain compass to make nimble turns to get more performance and if you find you're not loving your work how you can get back into alignment with with who you are and what you do best that's awesome and if you need more motivation, consider how much employee is underperforming employee is costing you. So if you need a $50,000 incentive to go visit Josh's website, there's one right there. So thank you so much, Josh. It's been just so cool chatting with you. I really look forward to, to following more of your stuff and hearing about everything that you share. And it's been, a, yeah, just a real pleasure chatting with you today. Anthony, thanks for having me. My guest today has been Josh Schneider who is the director of the Millennial and Employee Engagement Institute. He's also a speaker and author, and you can find all of his content online. If you enjoyed today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, or you know somebody who might not be using their employees to their full potential, please send them this podcast via text or share it online on social media. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to rate us five stars on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for being here and until next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.